Hey, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, part of the OTG Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to chat a little about our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. And yeah, just as training camp came and went, so is the preseason coming and going. We only have one more game left, only a week away until the NBA season starts. Miami won't start until the following Wednesday, but a week from today, next Tuesday, will be the start of the NBA regular season, so... Again, it just amazes me how it takes so much time getting through July and August and the beginning of September, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, go, 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 let's go, all right, start of the season, let's get into another great year, but uh, for now, we are here to talk about preseason takeaways uh, from the few games that have been played already as, again, we gear up for another season. But I wanted to start the preseason discussion by just saying that I'm wrong <laughs> and that Eric Spolstra is a future sure ballot Hall of Fame coach for a good reason. Um, where I was wrong was I thought that we would be seeing a lot more starters, you know, Jimmy, Lowry, Bam, trying to get acclimated, get back up to speed, maybe try to incorporate some new players like with Martin or trying out that Yurt Bam front court or maybe Jimmy at the four, Bam at the four lines. Nah, <laughs> none of that really. Spolster pretty much has been using the preseason to try to figure out who's going to be making up the bench and the end of rotation uh, for, for the roster. And what I what I mean by that, uh, probably the best way to illustrate it, is just look at the number of games that have been played by certain players. So I will make one exception for Tyler Hero. He bumped knees in his first game. First of all, looked great, absolutely phenomenal, looked physical. That was the most interesting takeaway from Tyler Hero's one game he played. Very physical on defense. But bumped his knees. It didn't look it well. Looked a little bad at the moment, but I felt fine. It looked like mainly a stinger. Fortunately, it looked like mainly just a stinger, maybe a small contusion. So for precautionary measures, as it's the preseason, Hero only played one game. But outside of that injury exception, there, Caleb Martin's only played one game. Jimmy Butler only one game. Victor Oladipo, though, for other reasons, uh, he played his first game last night against the Rockets. But so far, again, only played one game. And Omir Yurt 7 also only played one game. In a little bit of a similar fashion as well, Bam Adebayo, Dwayne Dedman, Gabe Vincent, and Kyle Lowry have all only played two games each. So just to say that the majority of what we already understand the rotation to be, again, like go through that list, right? Hero, Caleb, Jimmy, Depot, maybe not so much Yurt. But Bam, Deadman, Vincent, Lowry, that's seven, eight, nine of what we already understand that's going to be the regular season rotation playing less than 50% of the games. So what does that mean that Spolster's mainly trying to do? He's not so much interested in what's already known so much as what is unknown, which is the exact makeup of the bench, who's going to be good bench contributors, and then who's going to make up the end of the rotation. So, you know, mainly there's more so talking like who's going to be our two-way contracts kind of thing, which we will get into because there was some two-way contract talk. Oh, and one more la- name to throw out onto the list as well, uh, a little bit of an exception, but Max Struess, also who we understand will almost certainly be a rotation player for the Heat, has played three games, so uh, almost all the games. But again, it's just mainly been about the bench and end of the roster, which is a little bit unique. So, like, for for example, uh, you even go into, like, the games against, that Miami had against the Rockets last night, uh, against the Grizzlies on Friday, against the Nets on Thursday. 
all those teams who are varying levels of okay, not include the Rockets, but Grizzlies and Nets are good, you know, potentially final contender teams. They were still throwing out a lot of their heavy starters. You know, like look at Steven Adams and John Morant for the Grizzlies, or you look at uh, Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons for the Nets. Like those players were still playing against Miami's bench and in a roster players. Just because, again, that's just what House Bo, I think, geniusly twisted it, which is let's rest all the knowns and let's focus on the players that need that time, need that development, and see what we have that we can invest into going forward, which I think is reflected in the players that have played all the games so far. You look at various combinations of players that maybe fell out of the rotation last year, like a Duncan Robinson, uh, new players that have just been brought in, like a Nikola Jovic, uh, or players that are fighting for like two-way contract spots, like Drew Smith or Jamal Cain. And again, to their credit, uh, in a preseason format, they were taking it to legitimate rotation players from other NBA teams like the Rockets, the Grizzlies, and the Nets. Winning all those games, too, it should be mentioned. Though, again, this preseason record is 100% meaningless, but there is still something positive that I feel you can take away when, you know, you, again, like you have a bench-heavy lineup going up against a more starter-heavy lineup, and that bench-heavy lineup comes back, you know, not only t- from a deficit, but takes over, builds a lead, and then cruises to the end of the game. Even if it is meaningless, it is. it says something about the mentality of the Miami Heat, not just from your, you know, I mean, you get, you expect that from Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, but just how it is permeated down the whole roster. That even in a preseason game against bench and end of the rotation players from the Miami Heat, you're not getting anything easy. They're going to come at you 100% and make you earn it. So overall. I'm impressed with what Spo decided to do because I think it, it gives a lot of rest to players that are going to be getting heavy minutes as the season goes on. It helped them figure out who their two-way contracts are going to be, maybe who their rotation is going to be. I actually think it, it may have confused some things just because it looks like Miami might have a glut of talent and depth, which is makes sense. I mean, you look at last year's team, and that was a team that we noted as being extremely deep arguably too deep, and we saw that happen in the playoffs where Spo at times would have to start out first halves pretty much playing like four, five, six players off the bench so that he could find those three to four that would play in the second half. That was the norm. Uh, and in the playoffs too, no less. So and then he'd look at it and go, okay, well, the really only things that happened over the summer was we brought everybody back, uh, P.J. Tucker did leave, that is fair, but in his place we brought back Nikola Jovic in the draft, and then there's, you know, the other player, uh, which essentially, like, just numbers-wise, puts us in roughly the same position. And sure, maybe we shuffle some things around, Hero starts instead, maybe Martin takes over for P.J., but you still have the same just number problem of a lot of quality rotation-level players and only so many minutes to go around. To me, it screams... A consolidation trade would be nice to have, but like I always say with trades, those are two ways. You can't just say, oh, I want to get rid of these players and, and consolidate to one better player. you got to have somebody on the other side that sees that as something beneficial to them. Uh, but trade talk can happen another day. We're doing preseason talk today. 
But the the main thing I just wanted to highlight there was just how even in the preseason, Miami's depth really shone out in that they were almost resting their entire starting lineup throughout. Like, again, assuming Tyler and Martin were the starters, that's Hero, Jimmy, uh, and yeah, that's three starters that only played one game, and that's the other two starters only playing two games. Everything else was bench and in rotation, and they were still balling out. So, yeah, Miami, deep as always, enjoy it. But, like, no, seriously, enjoy it, because I'm not quite sure there's even one or two more teams in the NBA that does a better job scouting and development than the Miami Heat. And it pays with, again, like, a deep bench, a deep end of rotation, so you're not quite hurt with injuries. And so that you can go into preseason and have the luxury of being able to rest all your starters and just worry about these other uh, bench and end of rotation roster moves kind of thing. And the last thing I'll mention real quick uh, in general for preseason talk is just the vibe from the team. Like, everybody was having fun, you know, up on the sidelines, hooping, hollering every time someone made a shot. Uh, just, just great vibes from the team. Everybody seems healthy, happy. Doesn't didn't look like a lot of conflicts, uh, which you could expect to happen from a team. Again, like I mentioned, like you have a really deep team like this where pe- where players are having to fight each other for minutes because minutes leads to stats, which leads to contracts. So these players are incentivized in a way. Given this kind of construction, they're incentivized to almost fight each other or be ag- at least aggressive to each other. But none of it at least was visible from what we've seen. And I I. Again, just want to sing the praises of Spo because I think that this is something that's reflected in his culture where Spolstra doesn't really play favorites. He makes you earn the minutes. So it, it's an environment where, you know, like if you're a player and I'm a player and I get those minutes over you and the one that's deciding that is Spolstra, at the very least, the two of us can look at each other and go, you know what? We both trust this dude, this Hall of Fame level coach. And if he says that I earn the minutes over you, or if you earn the minutes over me, well, then it's nothing personal. We root for each other's success. Uh, I think that is what has trickled down into this team. And that was just something that was noteworthy to me. Seeing, you know, players on the bench cheering for players in the court that they're actively competing with for minutes. I, I think that speaks to the camaraderie, the culture, and the professionalism of the Miami Heat which is a reflection of their front office, Eric Spolstra, and then the godfather, Pat Riley, as well. So that'll do it for just the the general talk. Uh, I did want to keep this a little bit of a shorter pod, but the other part of the pod that I mainly wanted to talk about was more specific preseason talk, and more specifically about um, some players that stood out. So I just wanted to highlight three players. These three players played all four games. So, you know, they were getting... they were given the opportunity to rise to the occasion, and I felt that all of them rose to the occasion and should be rewarded for it. Uh, The first one I just want to mention, Duncan Robinson. So a quick overview of Duncan's story. Uh, First time I ever saw him was several years ago, the year before the Jimmy Butler year. Dude was just a brick machine. I did not believe in him much at all, but completely proved me wrong when he became one of the best shooters in the league in the 19 to 20 and even in the 20 to 21 season the 21 to 22 last year it started to to peter and and dip off and i think one of the things that really got exposed last year more specifically around the december timeline 
was how much Duncan Robinson's three-point shooting, come off the screen or dribble handoff and just let it fly game was dependent upon Bam Adebayo being, you know, again, like the dribble handoff recipient or the screen setter. And the reason why I highlight the December was because that's when Bam went down and we started to see Duncan struggle a lot. And that became a big red flag for the rest of the league. Like, okay, obviously we need to take care of this guy. We can't just let him shoot threes whenever he wants. But just keep a guy with him and pay especially close attention whenever it's a Bam Duncan dribble handoff. And so long as we do that, it's not as big of a threat. And that kind of is what ended up happening with Duncan, where eventually he lost his starting rotation spot to Max Struess. And then as we got through the playoffs, he became part of that. What I mentioned earlier, where Spolster would be like, all right, I'm throwing out four to six guys. And then I'm going to see who has the shot and then whittle it down to around three for the second half. He would typically be one of those four to six thrown out. And more times than not, the shot wasn't falling, so he wouldn't get as many minutes in the second half. And would, as series goes on, has his minutes reduced even more. So just to say that coming out of last year, uh, the vibes are not good around Duncan Robinson. It, it seemed like he was sliding to end of rotation or even out of rotation. But at the very least, when we've seen in preseason, he has made a pivot towards the opposite direction. Not only did his shot look really good, like he had some games that just was absolutely bombing it, but his defense much more improved. Because one of the other big hooks about Duncan Robinson was his big foul tendency when it came to playing defense. Like, just constantly getting reach-in fouls. And at times, that would also be one of the contributing factors to why he wouldn't get minutes in the playoffs. Because he would get thrown out there, and either the shot wouldn't work, uh, or he'd pick up like two quick fouls off of reach-ins or, or something of the sort. Well, hook him. So, was what ended up happening. But the defense looked much, much, much better in the preseason that I've seen. Um, in specific, there was a play last night, I remember, where Duncan was attacking a closeout. The player went for a pump fake, and which completely got Duncan out of his feet and flying. And usually in, in a year or so past when we see that happen, that would be either Duncan trying to reach in, not being able to contest at all, or the uh, offensive player like doing one of those jump-into moves to draw the foul. Instead, Duncan was able to like maneuver his body around, which made the offensive player think that he could get a good open look. And then Duncan was able to just block it from behind in a what was surprisingly good athletic play. Uh, overall, his fouls have been reduced. So yeah, if, if that is something that could be built upon, then great, Duncan looks like an improved defender, which will help him get more minutes onto the court. In addition, he uh, also started to attack closeouts on offense and showed a little bit of moves, being able to dribble the ball, get into some pull-ups, maybe get into a floater, but along the same lines of like not being so easily defined like he was before, this is another step forward for me, for, for Duncan Robinson, in the sense of okay, well, now he's not such a one-dimensional offensive player. If his shot's not going, well, maybe he could try to get into... Because opposing teams are always going to close out on him. That should probably mention first and foremost. Opposing teams are still going to be terrified of somebody that can shoot over 40% from three. So even if the shot isn't quite going, they're still going to close out on him. So he's going to have opportunities to attack closeouts. 
And if he really has grown his game to be able to take advantage of that, then again, it leads to the idea that he should deserve more minutes going forward. And another big part, because we mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier, was how Duncan has been having to do this uh, in lineups that do not feature Bam, because Bam is barely played. He had two games. So the other two games, and then even even the games that Bam did play, Duncan didn't play a ton with him, and thus had to either be able to get a lot of those same actions from non-band players, like take a dribble handoff from a Deadman or a Yurt. Well, Yurt only played one game. Uh, or a Jovic or whoever, uh, or just be able to catch and shoot or be able to manufacture some of his own offense. The, just the fact that he's not only su- somewhat succeeded in doing this, but doing it without Bam at a bio is also important, Just again, just from a lineup flexibility. Like, if you don't have to pair Duncan with Bam to make him effective, then that just makes Duncan a more versatile player that can play in other lineups because you don't have to hamstring and find a way to make sure that Bam's in there as well. So, yeah, D- Duncan Robinson looks like he has earned regular season rotation minutes. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work because there, there's a good amount of overlap with him and Max Struess, but... I think it's more of a good problem that to have too many bench shooters that require minutes and, you know, the, the opposite. So, yeah, and also, again, we have Eric Spolster to, to figure that out. But just to finish it up, Duncan Robinson looks to have rounded out his game a little bit, has refound that strength in his shot, and just looks to be ready to be a, a legitimate contributor to this team after what was a down year last year. Well, that's enough about Duncan Robinson for now. The next second player that I wanted to highlight was Jamal Kane. So I I did not know much about him. Uh, for, somewhat for good reason. He was mainly brought onto the Heat uh, once training camp started. So he was part of those training camp contracts. And r- real quick, if anybody doesn't know about this, essentially how this works is in training camp, you're allowed to go over the 15-man roster you can have to sign multiple contracts so that you have enough people for training camp. And also, again, so you can see, all right, maybe we want to swap out this two-way contract for another one and then fiddle around with the end of the roster, mainly stuff like that. So the the point there being is typically for NBA teams, you'll see them get a little bigger around training camp. If you just look at like total roster size, it can get around 20. And then it has to be cut down to 15 come the start of the regular season. Because a regular season rotation uh, roster is only 15 players long. So, but Jamal Kane, essentially that's how he got in. He got in part of those training day camp contracts and got his opportunity in the preseason to see if he could maybe warrant something beyond just the training day contract. Because like, if you're one of those training camp players and that, that just ends up being it, then you're in the same boat as a lot of these players that don't make it into the league. Like, you're looking like, okay, can I get a G League spot here, uh, or do I have to go overseas? So, you know, the incentive is there to ball out as hard as you can, and Jamal Kane, to his credit, like, like I mentioned with Duncan, took advantage of the opportunity. Jamal Kane, though, very athletic, six foot seven forward, high motor, great defense. The shot looked solid, something that can be worked upon. It wasn't a high volume that he shot. I think it was like three attempts a game, but still shot around 36, 37%. So good, not quite great, but still good uh, and on good enough volume. Uh, played more minutes as the preseason went on, which I think is also a very good sign because he started out with a few minutes and... Spolstra has said this before, where he likes players 
that almost force him to play them more. And I think Jamal Cain was a good example of this, where you could almost see it in like those few minutes he played. It was like, man, he needs more. He needs more minutes. Uh, we gotta find him. We gotta find a way to get him back in in the second half, or get him back in for the closing lineup, or just just get him back out there. Like that's what Spolster is talking about, and that's what Jamal Cain did as the preseason has gone on. Like he's just been forcing Spolstra to play him for more minutes, and I think that is probably what resulted in Jamal Cain earning a two-way contract because it was literally at the point where it was almost like, all right, the Heat have to find a way to get this guy a two-way contract before another team post poaches him because he was like literally playing that great in the uh, preseason because yeah if the heat like so like again just quick go over uh, the two-way contract essentially means that he can go two ways between the heat g league affiliate the sky the Saifus, Sci falls sky force and the, the regular team, the Miami Heat. And there's certain limitations on how much time he can spend with the Heat. But the most important point for a two-way contract in this context is you cannot steal another team's player that's on a two-way contract. So, like, for example, uh, I, if I were with the Golden State Warriors and I look at the Sky Falls Sky Force for the Miami Heat... I could take pretty much anybody on that G League roster and sign them to a contract except for the ones that are on two-way contracts with the Miami Heat. So a little bit of an interesting specification, but it essentially signals that the Heat, like they not only wanted to reward Jamal Cain for a great training camp and great preseason, but also they wanted to invest and say, hey, we're going to keep you in-house, develop you over the next I don't know how many years, and then just see what happens going forward. So he has warranted the future development. Um, I do want to preface that he almost certainly will not be playing much in the regular season, barring injury, uh, but it is still possible. So, example, Caleb Martin was a two-way contract for us last year, and then because of injuries that happened to, like, Markeith Morris, uh, Jimmy Butler, Bam and everybody else, Martin got his opportunity to play more so with the Miami Heat, and they eventually converted that two-way contract, as we know, into a regular season contract. And then now they paid him over the summer. So these things can still move fast. But in terms of just probability, most likely it is probable that Jamal Kane stays with the Sky Force and just develops there. Uh, but if he ever does come up, believe me, you're going to see something great. The dude just plays hard. But that's Jamal Cain. Uh, I wanted to save the third and best for last uh, in terms of just the absolute hype. And that has to be Nikola Jovic, Miami's 27th draft pick from just this most recent draft from Serbia. And I, I won't lie, part of my excitement is that he is also Serbian. Um, for those that don't know too much, I have several close friends from Serbia, kind of coincidentally. I've gotten to go visit there, really gorgeous place, uh, really great people, had a lot of fun. So I, I have a, a little bit of a connection to Serbia, and obviously I have a connection to the Miami Heat. And so you combine the two, and that just kind of makes me a little extra excited. But what adds to that is Jovic looking legit. Like, this guy, I, I see all that the Heat see in him in terms of just a future, and it makes me uh, it makes me salivate in the mouth a little bit. But uh, we'll just go through it real quick. So, yeah, Nikola Jovic, his first game the uh, against the Minnesota Timberwolves, not quite looking as good. It looked a little slow, looked a little lost. But the 
the most impressive thing is how much better he has looked since that. And something that he mentioned as well in terms of like his adjustment to the NBA is mainly understanding like the, the speed, sorry, not understanding, processing the speed at which the game goes at the NBA level. Because, and this is something I mentioned in the draft pod a um, few months back, Nikola Jovic did not spend the last year in like NCAA play or college play or G League play. No, Nikola Jovic spent the last year playing European professional basketball against like, you know, mid 20s, early 30s grown dudes. And the one takeaway that I took from that was how much that made Luka Doncic from the Dallas Mavericks, his game just amazing. Now, granted, Luka is also a generational talent, but one of the things that helped him when he came to the NBA to just immediately dominate at the level that he did was the experience he had already playing with professional adult basketball players over in Europe. A little bit of the same way with Jovic, where... Maybe not the generational talent, but has a lot of the experience and looks beyond his years. Like the the one thing that immediately stood out with Jovic watching him play was his court awareness and the dude's passing chops. Like just as a playmaker, he was already out there doing things. We're talking like look offs or just like bullet passes. I mean, yeah, there was one in particular. Jovic gets the rebound. He he dribbles it up the court. Again, always good to have somebody that can dribble the ball up the court for you. And just slings it to a cutting Duncan Robinson for an easy layup. Like, that. that's what I'm talking about where you can see the experience he already has playing with adult professional players in that kind of setting. Like, okay, there's space there. Somebody's probably going to cut. Oh, there's a cutter. Hit him. Easy bucket. So playmaking immediately stood out to me. Uh, other things that stood out... Uh, he was playing small ball five. That was interesting because thinking about Jovic, we would have said that maybe he didn't quite have the size and in, in terms of like the, the physical muscle because he is 19 years old to play center. But it is preseason, so eh. Uh, but main point being then is he was playing small ball five out there. It was looked effective because not only did he have the playmaking chops to help kind of in a way that Bam Adebayo does when he's playing small ball five, but he also has a really great shot. Like, all of his shots, even when they don't go in, they look smooth. They look polished. It's there. And it looks like something that can make defenses respect it. And again, like, if you have a small ball five that can shoot, and everybody else can shoot, well, congratulations, you're going five out, and, and you can do all kinds of dirty things to defenses if you can go five out. But the main thing with Jovic was just his ability to play the small ball five uh, effectively and then be able to show off so many different parts of his game. Like, he had times he, he'd attack the basket, and he looked smooth going to the basket. He was looking for the contact. He drew it and then still either made the basket or made a good attempt on the basket, which is also something that comes from playing with professional adult players, right? Like, if you're constantly playing with 19-year-olds, there's only a certain amount of physicality that those other 19-year-olds are going to get to compared to, say, a 25-, 26-year-old fully grown man coming at you to block you or foul you or whatever that Jovic had to deal with for the last year, and it translates to here. There were still times that he looked a little slow on defense or you could see where, like, in some areas he has been able to speed up 
And like, like I mentioned earlier, he said that the, one of the big problems was keeping up with the speed of the game. You can see sometimes where like he's caught up with that speed, and then other times, mainly the defensive end, he's not quite there yet. But honestly, that feels fine. He showed so much already. Like again, like I mentioned, everything about the upside of a potential Jovic Bam front court, I, I saw there. Right, the passing. The shooting to, to keep the floor space. The size to be able to switch out onto center so Bam can switch out onto the perimeter. Like, I'm almost at the point that, like, granted, I still think this is two or three years down the line that, that we get to that full time. But I could see a world where you have your front court of Jovic and Bam. And I really don't know who you call the five and who you call the four. But whichever one's doing which or if they just switch them throughout the game... It, it looks like a good pairing. And again, it's got me excited. But I do still preface that this might be a little ways off just because despite his play, I'm not quite sure if he's warranted minutes over other players in the front court. Because there is going to be a bit of a jam at the front court, right? If we, again, we assume Martin's going to be the starting four, right? So that means in turn, and obviously Bam's going to be the starting five. So, assuming that, then that means Jovic has to contend with Highsmith, Yurt, Deadman, uh, maybe even like a Struess or Robinson, if Spo wants to try one of them at the four. Just, just to say that, like, that front court gets crowded pretty quickly. Again, it goes back to what we said earlier, right? The Heat have a really deep roster, and it's going to be a little challenging to see who gets the minutes. So... If somebody ends up being odd man out, I could maybe see it being Jovic just to be like, hey, you're going to take your time off, develop, get your body be- bigger, stronger, keep watching film, keep practicing, keep getting better, and then be unleashed eventually. But in terms of Jovic as a potential long-term partner for BAM or a, lo- a future-term partner for BAM, however you want to phrase that, like it's, it's there and it warrants the development. So for me, excited that we have what looks like a potential steal from Serbia on the team. First it was Nikola Jokic, then uh, Bogdan Bogdanovic for the Atlanta Hawks. Next up could very well be Nikola Jovic. Uh, Serbia just keeps pumping out great players, something, something that I'm going to keep in mind going forward. But yeah, I was actually hoping to keep this a shorter pod. Now I'm at 30 minutes. Awesome. So just to wrap this up real quick, there is one more preseason game left against the Pelicans tomorrow. I really don't have too much uh, to say in terms of like a preview. It's the last game of the preseason. It's probably going to be more of what we already saw with a lot of bench and inner rotation and, and see who ends up uh, rising to the top out of that. Next week, Next Tuesday, um, I will be going over just an overview of the East uh, as we understand it going into the season because this East is going to be very, very competitive. I'm not the only one saying that. You can pretty much go around everywhere. We're all saying the same thing. This East is loaded. So I figured at the start of the season, let's take stock. Uh, I mean, obviously, we talked for the last few months about Miami and how they've done over these over the summer and what hopes and expectations we have going into the year. 
I want to start by seeing how Miami factors into this loaded East uh, as the season starts. And then obviously we'll, we'll preview the first week of the games as well. So that'll be all for this episode. Please be sure to follow the pod at Twitter at Heaters Heating and myself at Kyle underscore B underscore Russell. Also check out the other pod, great pods we have at OTG Basketball off of Twitter. I include links for everything in the show notes below. I'll be back next Tuesday. So until then, hope you all have a good one, Heat Nation.